This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Uh, um, if you talk to me today and you find that I'm, I'm ignoring you more than normal, uh, that's because I, I went swimming in, um, in Wales and uh, nearly drowned. It's another story for another day, but my ears are full of water and I can't get it out. So I can't really hear what's going on. So if you speak in this ear, you're more likely to get more attention than that ear. But anyway, great to see you. Uh, my name's Howard. If I've not spoken to you, you've not met me. We're going to start a series called uh, Vital Signs, Healthy Christians, Healthy Church, and um, I guess, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen medical dramas, they're on the TV all the time, aren't they? Holby City, um, Casualty, um, what else is a house, was in America for a while with a British actor, I don't know, what else. what else is there around? Yeah, Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs, yeah, well, Silent Witness, they're all there, aren't they? And um, so we're familiar with the kind of rhythmical graph like this sort of thing with, that, that beats along with the, the vital signs of, of your basic body functions. And I, I just thought, actually, just to get you warmed up and hopefully to make you laugh and like me, I want to tell you a story. I remember once, I've never really been ill, um, although I did nearly drown in Wales, but so again, another story. I, 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 was in, I remember in Manchester, we were in our, uh, a church, in the church office, uh, the church I led at the time, and I think um, Emily, who worked for me, had uh, just given me the finance figures. I think that's purely coincidental, but she'd just given me the finance figures, and I felt this incredible tightness in my heart. It was about 2008 when the economy was crashing, but I'm sure I wasn't having a heart attack because of the finance figures, but I felt this incredible tightness in my chest, and they're all, uh, so there's five or six in the office, they all start to panic very caringly. Normally they ignore me and they say, oh, you need to just, just take a seat. Anyway, I felt really dizzy. So anyway, I lay down on the carpet in the church office and, um, and, and, and Emily, my PA, said, well, I think we better do something. So she rang NHS Direct. I don't know what it's called now. It's 1111 or something, is, what, is it? Yeah, whatever. Uh, and uh, we ring those people and they start to talk to you and they ask you these vital signs. They say, how's your heart rate? And I say, well, I think I've got a little bit of a pain in my heart. How's your breath? Well, I feel a little bit short of breath. How's your temperature? Well, I think I'm all right. And as, you, as, the, as they're talking to you, you're feeling worse. You know, you start to feel, yeah, I'm feeling bad. And so I'm just feeling like this pressure and lying on the floor and I think, oh, am I having a heart attack? Anyway, after about two, three minutes, it all kind of goes away. And I'm fine. And Emily and Skip, who worked in the office, they said, oh, well, let's just have a cup of tea. That was a bit of a funny moment, wasn't it? And then just as we're brewing up, uh, there's a ring at the, at the office doorbell. So I, I'm fine. So I go downstairs, and there's this kind of SWAT team of paramedics who come to the door and say, uh, is Mr. Kellett here? I said, oh, it's me. And they went, oh, you're supposed to be having a heart attack. I said, no, I want to say I'm fine. And they went, no, 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 we, we've got to check you. So they, I said, well, can't you just check me standing up? They said, no, you ought to lie in the ambulance 
uh, with, uh, on the, they strap me into this uh, uh, stretcher and they're checking everything, they put everything on, it's all beep, beep, I think I'm alive, that's good. And it's all happening and I said, well, okay, clear, I'm fine. And they said, yes, you are fine. I said, well, can I go now? And they said, no, the protocols say that you must go to A&E. If we've been called, you've got to go to A&E. So they blew lightly through Manchester. The traffic's all stopped in the middle of Manchester. I go through this, and then I come to A&E, and it's like, it's a casualty. The doors swing open, and I'm there on the stretcher, and some of these guys with masks on and kind of AK-47s, I don't know what they're doing, and they all come in, and they gather around me, and they plug in things into me, and I'm like, I'm fine. And there's a Scot- very stern Scottish consultant. Yes, 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 just sit down, laddie, or whatever, terrible Scottish accent. I care what I'm saying. I can't hear the accent, it's terrible. Anyone want to do a Scott? Anyway. And everybody gathers round and then he says, okay, show's over everybody, he's fine. He tells everyone to, well, I won't say what he said, but he tells everyone to go. So I kind of lie there and I feel completely stressed by this whole thing. <laughs> I said, whoa. I, he said, well, what happened? I said, I have no idea. I said, I have no idea, but I'm fine. He said, everything's fine. I said, so, okay, can I go home? He said, no, no, sorry, po- protocols say that you've got to stay in overnight. I said, but, but I'm not going to die. He said, no, you could go home and die and that'd be fine. That'd be your choice. He said, but that would be bad for me if you went home and died. If I let you go. I thought, what about me? Anyway, so they put me in bed overnight and I'm, it was the worst night ever. <laughs> this poor lady, I, 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 it's not funny really, but this poor lady had um, kind of didn't know where she was. She had probably dementia. She's in the bed next to me. And all the way through the night, she's screaming, there's a man in this house and he's trying to get me. (laughs) And then they come over and say, don't worry, you're in hospital, Mrs. So-and-so, and and that man's a a patient. (laughs) And that went on all night. She kept getting out of bed and trying to throttle me. And I'm thinking, oh. Anyway, in the morning, they're coming round to check me out. And there's one of the ladies at our church was a doctor. What are you doing? I said, it's a long story. (laughs) Anyway, so I have had experience of all that kind of blue light stuff and everything. But what I thought we'd want to do as part of our series is, is almost to strap those monitors to us. And you might think, I'm fine. You might think, I'm totally fine. Well, what's the big deal? We're really going into this a little bit too much. But I want to strap the heart monitors, the spiritual heart monitors to us as a church and to you as individuals and ask the questions, how are your vital signs? So we'll look at a whole load of stuff. We'll look about how our community is, how our missions are going, how our worship, our spiritual gifts, our disciple making, our compassion for the poor's going, how our marriages and family, our money, our prayer, our work. As you can see, it's a great chance for me to speak about anything I want. But hopefully there'll all be these kind of vital signs of how you're doing spiritually. But the one vital sign that we've got to start off. The other ones will not be in any particular priority order, but we have to start with this vital sign this week. We have to start with knowing Jesus. This is the ultimate vital sign. This is the ultimate sign of spiritual life. Do we know Jesus? Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3. Whatever were gains to me, whatever was in my advantage, whatever was good for my life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness or worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then you can hear his plea, I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. We sang about that really in songs. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on, you feel his energy, to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for Paul's energy and passion in this passage that he wants to know you. And Lord, I just pray that at the end of this morning, Lord, that uh, that that would be our cry. I pray a Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, through the week, that would be our cry, that we would take our spiritual pulse and know that we're alive because we know you. Lord, I pray we won't be a flatlining church on life support, not really knowing you, going through the spiritual motions, but Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour your life into us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There's something interesting about life in that it's, it's, it, you know when it's there. You know when there's vitality, the, the sense of life, that's what it means. When life is there, you know when it's there, and you know often, sadly, in families when it's not there. You know, in inorganic objects when it's not there. Uh, uh, but yet, it, it, there's something, so it's very tangible. Life is tangible, but yet, but it's also intangible. You can't bottle it, you can't get, weigh it, you can't, what is it? And, 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 and one of the things about life is we feel that we, we have life in ourselves, as if we possess life, as if it's something intrinsic within us. I am alive. And... Um, But actually, the underlining message of the Bible is not that we're alive, that we possess life in ourselves as some quality of being human, but actually that life itself, the very essence of life, comes from God. So we could have debates about, is there life on other planets? But if there were, my answer would be from what I read in the Bible, yes, but that life would come from God. Whatever you discuss about mechanisms, life comes from God. It's not something that we have that we give to God. You can hear people say, I give my life to God. Actually, it's something that he has that gives to humanity. In fact, John's Gospel ends with these words, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And Jesus was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made. And then this is a brilliant little phrase, in him was life. It's not just life, spiritual life, life that you go to heaven life. The whole of life comes from Him. It flows from Him. Your heartbeat, your pulse, your every breath you take, every move you make, as the song says, not He's watching you, He's given you life. But the cosmic tragedy that we know is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans, suicidally turned from God. And death enters the world. Death is an intruder. We talked about that when we did the big objections when I talked about heaven and hell. Death is, and hell are intruders into this system. It's supposed to be glorious, blessed, eternal life with God forever. But death comes in. In fact, Paul writes in Romans, sin came into the world through the one man, Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men, all people, because all have sinned. Our lives, our bodies were created to live forever, but yet our life, the life of God in the soul of man, to quote the title of a book, is is ebbing away. 
we're all slowly dying. We don't die because of the aging process. We die because sin has created an aging process. So it's interesting when we think then that, that, that is that the last word? Has death got the last word? We find this through the Bible. Is death, if you've got the last word, is, is, is there something else? Is there, is there another story? And the great good news of the Bible is that actually death is not the last word. The difference when we went to my mother's funeral last year, just over about this time last year, the difference between burying my mother and going to a funeral where there's no hope is absolutely, it's not just a little margin of difference, it's fundamentally different. Fundamentally different because we believe that death is not the last word. That God has come and done something, that He's come and done something in Jesus Christ, the only one who never sinned. The reason why He was tempted in every way and never sinned is because sin was not part of him. But actually, when he died, how could he die? Think about it. How could Jesus die? If death comes from sin, how could Jesus die? How could he possibly die? How can God die? How could sinless God die? You know the answer, don't you? He took our sin. He took our sin. He died because it was our sin upon him. Our rebellion, our suicidal rejection of God was upon him. And so he went down into the grave. But actually, Peter says right in the very first sermon, at the very start of the first church, he says, nails the people, no no pun intended, he says, you, Jews, you three, four thousand people listening here, you, it's ours as well, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the death, from dead, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because, say it with me, is it up there? It was because he's got life in him. No sin, he's got life in him. And actually, uh, this passage of life in Christ comes, comes again and again. Paul's, it's one of his massive themes. He says this in Ephesians 2. He says, but God, he says, you were dead, but God, being rich in mercy. I think we should read this one, one as well. It's just a great, but God, read it with me, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's wonderful, isn't it? He's made us alive. The one who was dead in his life, he's made us alive. In fact, Jesus says, where do you find life? Where do you find life? He prays it to his Father. Now this is life without end or this is everlasting life. Not that, we, the, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Life, people, does not come from anywhere else. Now we're told that life comes from, if you've got money, and I, I wouldn't mind having the money to have nice holidays and fun, and life would come if you've got money. Or you'll feel truly alive if you've got some position of influence and people love you. You're, you're famous. You're popular. You're good looking. Life will come for you from that. Life will come from pleasures or comfort. And even I find it in my life, it, it whispers in my good ear. 
maybe he doesn't, but the enemy, Satan, whispers in my body, why don't you do that? Why don't you just indulge yourself in that? You'll feel truly alive. You know how it pans and you, you believe him, like our first parents believed him, and what do you find? You just feel shocking. No life comes from it. You feel bad. You feel guilty. And it's not because we've been indoctrinated into some guilt religion. It's because death comes when we walk from Jesus. Even our healthy relationships, so much of our energy and time built into building relationships. We think, yes, I'll find life in those. And God wants us to have stable, loving, great marriages and families. But ultimately, without God in them, you won't find life in them. The number of times I have to sit down and talk to uh, people in their, about their marriage and they're frustrated. But I hear this and, 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 and I think, well, yes. You know, you hear people say, oh, I, my marriage is over. You know, she's not the woman I married or it's not the man I married and it's, it's over. And I've, I'm not invested anymore because what happens is you put all your hopes and all your energy in that, that this life will flow from this guy. And if you married any bloke here, maybe one or two of you might do well, but most of us, we're going to be a bit of a disappointment because life is not in us. Life's not in us. Life comes from one source. It comes from knowing Jesus. I need to go fast. This is what Paul writes in our passage. Whatever were gains to me, I consider loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It's almost like he puts everything on the scales. He says, you know, his, his heritage, his history, his religious affections, all these things, he piles them on the scale, everything, and he puts it on one side and said, they don't even tip the scales compared to this incredibly valuable thing. Knowing Jesus. Paul evaluates his life and says, there's nothing that compares to knowing him. Okay, so let's read this. Who is Jesus? One of the things that people say to me, I don't like liturgy, I don't like creeds. But why, can anybody say, why, were, why did people write down creeds? You know what creeds are? They're like statements of truth. Why did, why did people write them down? Don't want to answer? So we stay with them. So, and even repeating them helps you to think, oh yeah, I know who he is. So let's just, should we do it all together? Yes, let's read. This is the Jesus bit of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten, not made. Of same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And He was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will never end. Ooh, does that make you tingle? Don't you love him? I've picked up this clip, and it might be poor quality. If you want to get that ready, uh, guys. I picked up this uh, sermon clip by a guy that, uh, uh, called SM. I think it's something Shadrach, Meshach, Lockhart, Lockridge. He's a, a black Pentecostal preacher from California. 
And this is a, a little excerpt from one of his sermons. He preached without notes, and this just flowed out of him. But in the middle of it, there's a question. The Bible says, my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? <laughs> my king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. I want to go to that man's church. <laughs> That's Matt. He says, uh, he says, I wish I could describe him to you. <laughs> think, all right, all right. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Amazing. But there's that question, isn't there? I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you know him. You can have all the uh, life signs of Christianity. You can attend a lively church, 
big church, small church. If the, the, sometimes the bigger the church you attend, the more spiritual you feel that you are. Sometimes you feel the, the more religious activities you do, the more spiritual you are. If you hold a position of leadership, I've known people come to me and say, oh, I feel called to be a leader. And I, think, and I say, do you realize that it's not going to fulfill you? It's a dirty job. You know, it's a servant job. It's, and people think, oh, if I had that, then I'll, I'll feel spiritual. Or you can bring a few prophetic words, or maybe you've prayed for somebody on the, sit, on the street and they got healed, and you think, man, I'm really alive, I'm really spiritual. And, and, but actually, in the bottom line, you can still be flatlining. You know that? Flatlining. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, in one of the scariest passages in the Bible, you know where I'm going, if you know your Bible, I think, I don't, don't say this, Jesus! Uh, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that last day, that day of reckoning judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I'm a charismatic. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did not drive out demons and perform miracles? I tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Whoa. That's scary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel, well, I am spiritual. Surely I'm, I'm, I'm leading this church. I must be a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm quite good. I bring prophecies at conferences. You know, and don't do it so much here because I know all you lot. <laughs> but, you know, you, uh, and you think, oh, I've done that. And I remember that time when I prayed for that person and they got healed. And you, and you can think about all these things, but really if, if, if God was to lie you down and take your spiritual pulse, it's very, very frail. It's very frail. And the thing is, we just need to find that vitality of Jesus. We just need to touch him and chase after him. The thing is, he's, he's the one who searched after us. That, that's helpful. He's the one who's come and searched afterwards. He's the one who put his life into us. J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, what matters supremely, therefore, is, is the fact that God knows me. That my name's written on the palm of his hands and that I'm never out of his mind and all my knowledge of him depends on his sustaining, sustained initiative to know me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as one who loves me. There is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. No moment, that, uh, therefore, where his care falters. So that's good. He's consistent in loving us. But actually there's a response to us that we have to do. James, brother of Jesus, writes this, Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What James is saying is not that God is unwilling to be known or hiding himself away or keeping his distance plain hard to get because if we take a step to him, he runs to us. That's the story of the prodigal son. But what he says is that we're so often double-minded. So tell me if this is, don't tell me now, but tell me, talk in your threes. Is this you? You think, oh, I want to know him. I really want to know him. I'm convinced that he's the source of life. But your life as usual does something else. It it, it gives its attention and its time and its efforts to something else. 
oh, I'm too tired, I'm too busy. I would chase after you, Jesus. I would read and study and pray and take those moments. But, you know, I've just got to do my Facebook and I've got to be on Twitter and I've got to watch the X Factor and, and I'm busy from work and I've got a family and, and all these things. And, and Paul, Paul, James says, don't be double-minded. Don't say I'm single-minded. I want you, but really, I'm double-minded. In fact, we get this from Paul's, don't we? Actually, let me give you a quote from Dallas Willard. It was a brilliant on this stuff. He says, Dallas Willard is a, was a professor of philosophy and, and um, uh, Christianity in, in California, and he, he's died recently. He said, the abundance of God in our lives and our families is not passively received or imposed from above. It does not happen by chance. It's claimed and put into action by our active, intelligent pursuit of knowing Jesus. That's what Paul says. I want to know Christ. Not that I've fully obtained all this. I've already arrived at my goal. What is his goal? He wants to know Christ. That's his goal. But I press on to take hold of what that which Christ Jesus had told of me. Yes, that is his mission, but more than that, it's that relationship. Jesus reached Paul and says, I'm going to make you a, a, a gospel preacher to the sinners. But he said, I'm going to have you and love you and we're going to know each other. And I reveal myself to you. And Paul's captivated by that. And that is the goal of his life. He says, it's you who I want, Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, this is the great, great apostle says, I don't feel I've already got there yet. I haven't taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, that's him, Jesus, to win the prize, that's him, Jesus, for which God has called me heavenward. I love his hunger, his focused hunger. He's pressing on, forgetting the past. He doesn't say, because of my sin, I can't know Jesus. Some of us feel like, oh, I've done this sin this week and I can't know Jesus. That's the very thing that the, that, that the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to sit, feel, you know, I, I, I said that. I did that. I looked at that. I, I, I spoke that. I went that way. So Jesus won't want me because he wants to keep us away from him. But Paul says, I forget that. I forget that I used to kill the church. He says, I forget that. And he says, I forget what's behind. He said, you know, he's not saying, well, you know, some spiritual experience <clears throat> I had at Soul Survivor. When I was a 15-year-old kid, that's sustaining me. No, he's checking his pulse and saying, it's you that I want. I'm pressing on, pressing on, putting all my efforts, straining forwards, reaching to take hold of Jesus. There's more of Jesus to know. He hasn't arrived. He says, I want more insatiable appetite for Jesus. God first gentleman, is that us? Yes and no. Yes and no. There is a double-mindedness even in me. Lord, I'm sorry. I desperately want him. I, 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 in, my, in my times, I think it's, you know, if I gave myself more to him, I wouldn't feel so miserable. I give, I give myself to sin and think, why am I miserable? give myself to thinking it's all about me and if I could work it out and I could make it happen, I could be better and I just think, I was even praying this week Lord, it's your life I need your life, please pour it into me, I'm not trying to fill you, please pour your life into me this is the one vital sign isn't it, this is the critical thing Dallas Willard says, has your life as usual be marked by the habits and patterns that God can use to bring you close to him. If not, life as 
usual must go. Has your life as usual been marked by the habits and patterns that God can bring you closer to him? If not, life as usual must go. If our life as usual is a moment, a beep of relationship with God, our worship will be flat and we'll blame the worship leaders. Our preaching will say, well, his problem is he's too long. We'll blame everybody else. I sometimes do that. I think, oh, I just need to be at this massive conference where God is and the worship's so great and I could get a top up. I've said it so many times and John Wimber says, we'll cross the world to conferences but we don't cross the floor to him, to Jesus. I've got to land this. I'm loving it though. (laughs) Sorry, it's good for me even if it's, you're not getting anywhere. Let's land this down. Woo! Let's just do this. So how do we do it? I mean, there's a whole series here. I'm going to pick, I'll probably pick it up next week. In fact, I am going to pick it up next week. I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to leave you hanging, which is the worst possible thing a preacher can do because you think, what's the application? I'm hungry now. Where's the dinner? Where's the food? So I'm going to talk about that next week. We'll talk about how to how do we do those day-to-day, life-as-usual habits? We'll focus on prayer, but we'll touch some other things. And how do we get ourselves to that place? So our life as usual is not filled with, you know, I haven't read my... I've been in threes with guys in this church and other churches, and they've said, you know, I haven't read my Bible in weeks. In fact, I don't really know how to do it. Or really, I, I, I do pray, but, you know, to be honest, it just feels hard work. And we, I, have, I have periods like that. But that is not what we want, is it? That's not what we're pressing forward for. That's not what we're insatiably hungry for, is it? If you're sitting here and you're not thinking that I'm desperate for more of him after this, you need to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? You could say, well, Howard's not a great preacher and I'll give you that little bit of wiggle room. <laughs> But you know that you want him. That's how you got saved, isn't it? You saw his infinite goodness. God revealed it to you and you say, everything else is rubbish. It's him I want. He's the treasure in the field. Everything else has got to go. Yeah, the Bible's full of it, isn't it? Now what we're going to do is we're going to break bread and take some time to sing. But, but just interestingly, just as the one regular habit that you all have is eating. Yes? I, I guarantee that. You're already thinking, hmm. The regular habit you have is all eating. Uh, M- Naomi says to me, I have got issues with food. Yeah, I love it. You know, I have an insatiable appetite for food. Naomi says, what do you want? I would say, I'd like steak, please. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. I, I've got this insatiable appetite for food. But, but I just want you to think about that habit. What does that habit say? And you've probably heard me say this before. The habit of eating says, I have no sustainable life in myself. Every time you eat something, you're, you're saying, I need life from elsewhere. Jesus, oh, it's been broken for me, even better, I can break another piece. Jesus, in the desert, after he'd fed the 5,000, he said what? He said, I am the bread of life. He's the one who got broken on the cross. I'm the bread of life said, whoever eats of me will never be hungry. 
That's what we're coming to do right now. We're coming to Jesus, the one whose body was broken on the cross, to give us life, to take our death down to the grave and to give us his risen life. And when we take it, we're saying, I declare it's you that I need. When we drink this, we're saying it's your life. That's why it's like a symbol of blood, because the life's in the blood. It's a symbol of life. We're taking life. So I want us to come forward in a moment as as we worship. And I want us to, to take bread and wine and say, Jesus, it's you that I want. It's you that I want above everything else. It's you that I want. And you can stand here afterwards and just ask someone to pray for you if you're if you're living a powered up and your spiritual pulse is racing with God and you just say like Paul, I want more of him. Come in here and we'll pray for you. But if you know that you're sort of flatlining and you know that your spiritual pulse is really very weak, just eat of Jesus by faith and stay and get prayed for. And just let's let his life Come again to us afresh. Yeah? Now you notice what I've done there. There's a very positive one and there's a slightly challenging one. So all of you that struggle with pride and issues like that and you think, I don't want to tell people what I'm really like, you can hide that with people like me who are really going for Jesus and going to get prayed for. (laughs) Okay? Uh, We're going to invite you out. Please stay here if you're saying, I want my appetite for Jesus to be rich and strong and I'm satiably hungry for him. Or if you feel it's just gone a little dull, we'd love to pray for you. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.